This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm uh, 103 this morning. Uh, we're going to be here for a couple of weeks, so if you want to read ahead, feel free to do that. And so Psalm 103 is where we're going to be. We're continuing our series entitled Sure and Steadfast. We'll be taking a look at what the Bible has to say about hope. And so uh, if you missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up at our website uh, or through our, uh, uh, the Hui Kala app. I would encourage you to download that if you don't yet have that. Uh, if you have the Hui Kala app on your phone or mobile device, you can click on today's message and there's a button that says fill in notes. Uh, you'll be able to see all the verses we're going to cover today. Uh, follow along and, and write some notes down on your mobile device and you can email those to yourself at the end or just grab a sheet of paper and write down some thoughts as we go through this passage I, that I think will be a help to you this morning. Just to kind of give you an idea where we're going with this, uh, six weeks away from today will be our Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday celebration. Put it on your calendar, plan on being a part of it. It's going to be a big, huge celebration of the resurrected Savior. Now, we celebrate the resurrected Savior every Sunday, but this uh, coming uh, Easter Sunday is going to be really big. And so you will put, want to put that on your calendar, and you'll want to have a friend with you. So put that on your calendar, plan on being here, plan on bringing somebody with you. So for the next six weeks, we're going to be taking a look at, again, uh, what we find from hope from the Bible. Uh, We'll have Easter Sunday. We'll take a look at the hope of the resurrection. And then the Sunday after Easter Sunday, get ready because we're going to start tearing through the book of Romans verse by verse on Sunday mornings. And it's going to be awesome. And let me just tell you, to just prepare you, if you've never read through the book of Romans, first of all, it's going to blow your mind. Secondly, it's going to take us a little while to get through it if you haven't figured that out already. And so we're going to be in the book of Romans for a few, I'm going to say it, a few years, okay? Uh, so buckle up. It's going to be awesome, but I know for a fact it's going to help you for sure. But today, Psalm 103, which is a really powerful, really encouraging psalm that we'll take a look at uh, this morning. Again, I encourage you, if you've never read through the book of Psalms, that you should start. Uh, if you read, there's 150 Psalms. If you read uh, five a day, you could read the entire book in the course of a month. And so there's so much good stuff in the book of Psalms, so much encouragement. Uh, and wherever you're at in life, whether you're having a good day or a bad day, you'll always find yourself uh, in the book of Psalms. And it's a book of reflection uh, and it's a book of God's goodness and faithfulness to his people. And so I'd encourage you, if you've never read through that, read through it. I, I promise you it'll help you. Psalm 103 this morning, we're going to read the entire psalm. We're really going to focus on the f- first six verses, uh, but I want to read the whole psalm because all of it's good. Psalm 103, starting in verse number one. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that the youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He'll not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, West, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as the flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it's gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord, it's from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And upon his righteousness and the children's children, to such as keep covenant and those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in all the heavens, and the kingdom ruleth over them. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength and do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, and all ye hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We find the, the common repetition throughout Psalm 103 to bless the Lord. 
When we think of uh, who we are as people, it's very easy for us to complain. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I very rarely walk into a room and find, you know, a dozen things that are right and are going well. I usually find the two or three things that are wrong. Uh, and man, it just drives me bananas. And here's the thing for me, I've only got so much space up in here. It's, it's probably a very small amount of space because I have a small brain. Uh, but uh, I have a very small amount of space. And so I get frustrated by things, but then I forget things. And then they come back to me at the most inopportune times. Does that happen to anybody else or just me? I just remember, uh, where's Trey at? Trey, we have two lights out in the lobby over where the kids sit on the, the, that are off. I, I totally forgot those. I meant to mention that this week. I walked in, I was frustrated by it, but then I lost my train. I thought I was frustrated by something else and I forgot until just now. Uh, so um, anyways, uh, but I, I, don't, I rarely find things that are right and praise those. Uh, as a parent, that's been one of my failures as a parent. I'm quick to point out everything that my kids do wrong, but I very rarely stop and say, hey, I'm really proud of you for the way that you handled this or the way that you handled that or I love your love for the Lord. I, I saw you reading your Bible this morning. It's always, I want to find something to criticize. And that's, that's a problem of our heart, but that's also the human condition. That's why God has to remind us time and time and time and time again to praise him. And so when it comes to praise, first of all, we have to be a people of praise. Uh, that's what God commands and expects of his children, is that we would find reasons to praise God. Now, if we take a look at verse number one and two here, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And sometimes people use the words bless the Lord and praise the Lord interchangeably. They're actually two different words. And again, if we take a look at what the, the, the way that the Bible's written, the, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language, uh, a handful of Aramaic in the book of uh, Daniel, but primarily the Hebrew language in the Old Testament. New Testament would have been written in the Greek language. The Old Testament word for bless here is the, the Hebrew word baraki, which means to speak favorably or speak excellent words for. And so that's the word that's used for the word to bless here. And so when we think of blessing the Lord, I want you to get this, it always includes our words and the things that we say. Now, another word that we find that we sometimes would think would be synonymous with, with blessed, but it's actually a little bit differently, is the word praise. Uh, the Hebrew word for the, the word praise is the word halal. And the word praise uh, means a little bit different in the fact that it means the act of glorifying God in honor and adoration. Now, you might look at that and go, well, aren't those the same thing? No, because blessing requires us to use our words. We can live out praise as the way that we live our life. For example, I want to live my life this week in a way that pleases and honors the Lord. I want to live a life of gratitude and praise this week by the way that I live my life. That can live a life of praise, but to bless the Lord requires me to use my words to say, hey, God's been good to me this week and let me tell you how. Uh, I was greatly encouraged again by our time with, with the fellows on Friday night. Uh, we had a good meal, and uh, there was no salad or green stuff that was there. It was awesome. Um, we came over here. We, uh, we partnered up, and we had some time of prayer with other men. And some guys said this, and it, it encourages my heart every single time. Some guys said, hey, I've never prayed with another man before. Awesome. Congratulations. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the club. You get to pray with other dudes now. Like, what a gift, right? And then I said, hey, before we get started tonight, before we get into the Word, let's just have a time of, of praise. Hey, tell me something that good God's done for you this week. And I expected like one guy to stand up and say, hey, my boss was off this week, so there's low drama in the office. Or some guy to say, hey, you know, I got a three-day weekend coming up. Or, you know, typical like wimpy praise. That guy's standing up and just saying some really good stuff. And it went on for like probably 30 minutes or so. Guys just stand up and say, I praise God for my wife. She's been really good to me. I don't deserve it, but I'm thankful for her. Hey, I praise God for his faithfulness. Hey, I praise God that my, my, my kids are getting baptized on Sunday. Hey, I praise God that, you know, uh, I got to hear the testimony of my wife, her salvation this week. And just like, man, a guy's just standing up and just talking about God's goodness. And she's like, whoa, that encouraged my heart. And it wasn't no uh, guys just gathered together saying superficial surface stuff. It was guys really opening their hearts and praising God. And I thought to myself as I'm hearing this, this can't be an anomaly for our church. Like, oh, you remember that one time we got together and praised God. This has to be who we are and what we do. The problem is in many churches, when they begin to think of words like praise and worship, they relegate that to the song portion of congregational singing. That's not praise and worship. That could be, seriously, if your heart's not right, the singing portion of the service could just be Christian karaoke. It could just be words on a screen that you repeat with everybody else in the room. 
Praise and worship requires that my heart gets involved, that every fiber of my being becomes engaged in the recognition of who God is. And praise is really important to God because praise is commanded by God. If you don't praise God, let me just tell you this morning that you are in sin. How about that? If you don't praise God and you choose to complain otherwise, you are rebelling against God's commandments. And you and I both know what happens when you rebel against God's commandments. Things don't end well, right? So again, we need to be a people of praise. And, and again, to not be a person of praise means either we're a person of complaining or we're a person of forgetfulness or even worse. Here's, here's, here's the worst part where you and I get. We've become a people of entitlement, right? Like God owes me one. Like really, like of the way that I've lived my life, like it's only obvious that God would bless my life, right? I mean, like, if God's going to be good to anybody, of course he would be good to me. I mean, he, like, owes me. That's the opposite of a heart of praise. A heart of praise recognizes God doesn't owe me anything. I owe him everything. Uh, he's never done uh, anything for me that I deserved. Uh, and anything that I can do to him is just an act of his grace in my life. It requires that our hearts are right before God. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 9, it's in your notes. So I would encourage you, if you don't have your, the notes handy, to look it up. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 9 says, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We don't have time to break down this whole verse this morning, but I want you to see this. First of all, you're a chosen generation. If you're a child of God, you've been set apart for the purpose of glorifying God. Secondly, you're a royal priesthood. That means that you are given a special access to God that nobody else on the planet has. Direct, one-on-one -on -one access to the throne room of God anytime you want to because you are a child of God. Next, it says you're a holy nation. That means you and I are separate, distinct, set apart. Next, it says we're a peculiar people. And I want to stop for just a second to make sure you understand what that means. It doesn't mean that you're weird, okay? The word peculiar in this case, in this context, means a purchased, owned possession. That's what that means. Now, again, I've heard really bad preaching in my entire life. I'll just tell you this. I've been guilty of bad preaching before, all right? If you want to go back to the archives of who we call, I'm sure you can find some duds in there, okay? Uh, but... One of the things that, that grinds my gears is I've heard pastors preach this before and they say, bless God, we're a peculiar people and it's okay if you're a little weird, you know, praise God for weird Christians, amen, peculiar people. That's not what that means <laughs> at all. Now, will we be distinct if we live according to the Bible? Yes. Will people think that we're weird if we live according to the Bible? Yes. But this is not a license to be a weird Christian, okay? <laughs> and and you, know what I, you know what I mean by that, Right? It's the guys that wear the shirts that looks like the Budweiser logo, but it says Christ Weiser on it. It's just like, well, that's just weird, right? Like, why would you do something like that? Like, it's just like, oh, yeah. Or it's like a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. It says, this blood's for you. And it's just like, no, like, Christian weirdos, don't be that. That's not what the verse means. But here's what the verse does mean. You're distinct, you're different on purpose because God's called you to be different. But here's what it says, so that we can do this. Show forth his praises. Notice it didn't say a word about what we're supposed to say. Sometimes we think that praising God is by using our words. According to, again, the Bible, blessing God uses your words, but you can praise God by the way that you live your life. And so I want you, I want me this week to live a life that's praiseworthy, that shows God's goodness, his grace at work in our lives as people view how we carry ourselves, how we interact with people. The relationships that we have, the things that we're engaged with, the words that we use. You want that to be a life that's praiseworthy because that's commanded by God. But praise is an all-encompassing response to the grace and goodness of God. Again, if we take a look at verse number one, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me, bless his holy name. Again, blessing God is using your words to communicate God's goodness, but I don't want to just use my lips to communicate God's goodness. I want every fiber of my being to communicate God's goodness. Everywhere I go, everything I do, every person that I see, I want God's goodness to be communicated, and I want to bless the Lord with my life. So again, this requires a little bit of work on our part. You might say, well, my life really doesn't line up that way. Good. It's a great opportunity for you to align your life with a biblical idea of what Christians are supposed to look like. 
look, we've got enough Sunday morning Christians. We don't need any more, okay? And if you're just willing to follow Jesus on, on most Sunday mornings and as it's convenient for you, you're never going to make a difference in the world. You're never going to be the Christian that God's called you to be. He's called you to be a 24-7 Christian that your life would show forth his praises on a day-to-day basis in every area of your life. And let me just help you with this this morning too. If you have children, if God's blessed you with children, you have an opportunity and an obligation to show them what legitimate biblical Christianity looks like. Because look at this, you know this, kids are really good at sniffing out hypocrisy. They're really good at that. Like, wait a minute, we were just talking about Jesus in church and you were nodding your head and saying amen, but then you get in the car and you use ugly language? Like, hmm, that doesn't seem to add up. They see that and they realize that, hey, maybe Christian is just full of hypocrisy. Maybe every Christian is duplicitous. And so we got to be really, really careful with that. I made a commitment when God called us to start Who We Call a Baptist Church and God called me to be a pastor of a church that the same guy that you see up here on a Sunday morning is the same guy that my kids are having dinner with on Tuesday night. I'm not going to put a show on up here. I'm not going to be a different person at home. What you see is what you get, for better or for worse. And you say, well, that's good for you as a pastor. No, that's good Christianity is what it is. We don't need to put on a show. We don't need to put on a front. We need to put on a life that pleases and honors our Father through praise. So we have to be a people of praise, but we also have to speak of God's goodness. That requires us to actually use our words. Uh, Verses 1 and 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that was within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I read a quote several years ago, and and on the surface it sounds super spiritual. It's like, um, share the gospel, teach people to love Jesus, use words if necessary. They're like, on the surface, it sounds like, oh, that's good. You know, live a life that draws people to Christ and teaches people the gospel. But hey, look, we're commanded to use words. It's not a, if it's necessary. No, we're commanded to use our words to bless the Lord. It shouldn't be an anomaly that people hear me talk about God. It shouldn't be weird at work for me to say, well, you know, I was talking to the man upstairs this morning, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, and that makes us feel weird and awkward because we acknowledge a higher deity. Hey, look, people throughout world civilization have acknowledged a higher deity. That doesn't mean anything. But for you to say, like, hey, I was praying to God this morning. Hey, I was spending some time in the Bible this morning. I came across this verse that I thought would be helpful. Man, that's blessing the Lord. That's acknowledging your source of strength. And the Bible says that we should bless the Lord with everything that is within us. And so we express gratitude towards God by blessing God. (laughs) Oftentimes you're talking with Christians in a... I say, hey, how's your, how's your walk with God been? And they'll say, oh, it's been okay. Yeah, I get some good Bible reading in. You know, enjoy listening to worship music and praising God. I enjoy my small group on Wednesday nights. Probably 90% of Christians that I talk to say, I really struggle with prayer. And I get it. I've been there before. I go through periods of time where my, my prayer life isn't as uh, exciting as I want it to be. But I often trace it back to this. My prayer life becomes very unfulfilling when it's all about me. Hey, God, I got this thing coming up this week I need you to take care of. Hey, God, uh, I need you to make sure that my kids are safe. God, I need you to bless my marriage. God, I need you to provide financially for me in this need. Uh, hey, God, uh, Aunt Gertrude's sick. Uh, hey, God, uh, Uncle Harold's uh, cat's got hairballs. Hey, uh, hey, God, and we just begin to give God a list of stuff. And bless my day in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, that's unfulfilling to anybody, right? Can you imagine that I come home from work and I sit down with my wife and I say, hey, don't say a word. I'm going to tell you what I need. I need you to run to the store and pick up this. I need you to come home and do this. I need you to make dinner. Here's what I want for dinner. Here's what I'm going to drink for dinner. Here's what I'm going to have for dessert. Here's what I'm watching on Netflix. And then I'm going to bed. And bless my day, amen. (laughs) She'd be like, buzz off, dude. (laughs) Why? Because that's not how relationships work, Right? And if your prayer life is just a gimme list to God, you're going to be very disappointed with what prayer looks like. But if your prayer life is a time of praise first, oh man, it's going to be powerful. If you spend time thanking God for all he's given you and all that he's done for you, I sometimes encourage people to use an acrostic, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Asking for what I need comes last. 
after I've spent time in personal worship with God, after I've confessed my sin before God, after I've praised God and thanked God for all he's given me, then I can ask for what I need. And man, that makes prayer a lot more fulfilling. It makes my relationship with God a lot more fulfilling when it's two-way communication there. And so we're commanded to praise, and sometimes people say, well, I don't know what to praise about. Okay, get out a sheet of paper, number it one to 50, and write down 50 things that you're thankful to God for. Most people with this struggle, I've done this exercise on multiple occasions, and usually I get to probably 10 or 12 really, really easy, and then I struggle from about 13 to 25, and somewhere along the way, you catch a second wind, you get three or four more knocked out, and but then I find by the time I get to like 42 or 43, it's just like, oh, I've only got seven left. I don't know what to pick because I've got so many now, right? That's because we have to focus on God's goodness, focus on his grace, focus on his faithfulness, focus on his blessings. God's given us four incredible children, three incredible children on one average. But, um, <laughs> and all my kids are sitting here right now thinking like, at least I'm not the average one, right? <laughs> God's given me four incredible children, no lie. But for, and give me an amazing wife that I so do not deserve that it's just 100% the grace of God. Every single one of those five people in my, my family, I could think of 10 things that I'm thankful for in their life. That's 50 right there. I haven't even gotten started on what God's done outside of my family that he's given me. So again, being a person of praise means really focusing on that. Again, complaining, griping comes really, really easy for us. We've got to focus on good, God's goodness, God's faithfulness. Psalm 150, verse number two, praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So we don't only, only express gratitude towards God, we also speak of God's goodness to others as well. And when God does something in your life, you should tell somebody. Let me rephrase that. When God does something good in your life, you should tell a real person. How about that? Because sometimes people are like, oh, I posted that on Twitter. Oh, Okay. Oh, I've been praising God on Instagram all day. Yeah, that doesn't really count. I'm talking like talking to a real person. Hey, let me tell you what God's done. And again, sometimes when I look at people's, quote, praises on, on Instagram, I'm not sure if this is a praise or a humble brag, and if it's a humble brag, I don't think there's any humility here, so it's just a brag. Uh, and so again, don't get caught up in that. I just want to talk about God's goodness with like real people. If you're part of a small group at Hui College, which you should be, everybody should be involved in a small group of some sort, you get an opportunity once a week at least to praise God with other people and to bless God. Hey, watch something good that's happened in your life this week that God's done for you. And again, it might be something simple, it might be something really big, but you need an opportunity to praise God with people because God's so good. And other people need to hear of God's goodness. I'm gonna take it one step further and say this. Be really, really careful about complaining about God with other people. Think about that for a second. I need to praise God with other people. That's good, but sometimes people begin to complain about God together. That's problematic. And let me tell you why. If you take a look at every single group of people who ever got together to complain against God in all of the Bible, and take a look at how it ended. I think of, for example, Korah and his children, right? What happened? God called them out in the middle of a field, and the field opened up and swallowed them whole. Why? Because they complained against God with other people. You think of Aaron and his wife, Miriam. They were complaining against Moses. What happened? They got struck with leprosy. Like, God doesn't take kindly to trashing his name with other people. And you're like, what, I'm supposed to just keep my mouth shut and put my head down? No. God's given you an avenue to air your grievances. You know what it's called? Prayer. Hey, look, if you feel like God's giving you the short end of a stick, let him know. Seriously. If you feel like God's let you down, disappointed you in some way, tell him. Again, read through the Psalms. You got a dude that's pouring his guts out to God and complaint and griping. That's, again, why we find such comfort in the Psalms because you're like, wait a minute, David's just like me. Yeah, he was. Hey, wait a minute. David's like worse than me. Yeah, he was. There'll be comfort in the Psalms for you because you see yourself there. But here's what you'll find. The Psalms can typically be categorized into multiple different categories. Uh, Psalms of praise. Psalms of thanksgiving and, and praise to God's goodness. Psalms of deliverance where God came through and delivered. Psalms of lament. 
which can either be times of sadness or straight out complaining. But it's interesting, even the Psalms of lament that are Psalms of complaining, hey God, I, I cry and you don't hear me. God, have you forgotten to be good? Hey God, my enemies are surrounding me and they're going to kill me and you don't seem to care a bit are always every single time ended by, but I will put my faith in you. But I know that thou art my deliverer. Look, it's okay to complain against God. It's okay to gripe to God. As long as you come back to the idea at the very end that God is still God and you are not and he knows what he's doing and you don't. If you can come to that conclusion, you're 100% okay. The problem is, is when I carry animosity and anger towards God from a day-to-day basis and then it begins to infect my relationships with other people, that's where it becomes majorly problematic. So we just need to be a people of praise. You got a grievance? Man, air it out in prayer, in private. It's become very popular amongst so-called Christians and ex-Christians, former Christians. They, they've given a cute little name to it called faith deconstruction. It's basically where you sit, sit around and pick apart your faith and take out the parts that you don't like and throw them away and discard it until you come to the point where you're no longer a Christian, no longer a believer, and things like that. Hey, the Bible has a word for that, and it's not called deconstruction. It's called apostasy. And deconstruction is just a fancy, cool little buzzword for people to feel better about turning to apostasy, which meaning is giving up on your faith. And man, what happens? Are these people still Christians even though they renounce their Christianity? The question is not, were they still Christians? The question is, were they ever Christians? And you say, well, that's really harsh for you to say. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Many will say to me that to that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And I'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, workers of sin. I never knew you. And so please understand, you cannot lose your salvation. That's a fact. But you also could never lose a salvation if you never had it to begin with. So again, we got to make sure that we know what we know and we believe what we believe. So again, Gathering together to pile on God about how much of a failure he is is an anti-biblical, anti-Christian sentiment that we should have no part of. We're to gather together and praise and thank God for his goodness, for sure. And so when it comes to this idea of, of praise and worship, pet peeve of mine, just so you know, when people take the song music portion of the service and they call that the praise and worship section of the service, Oh man, praise and worship was great this morning, wasn't it? Are you talking about the music portion? Because praise and worship is so much bigger than a group of people singing a song together. And that's where we run afoul. People are like, oh man, I've got such a heart of worship for God. I love listening to music all day long. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's not a heart of worship. That's a heart of a love for music, which isn't necessarily a bad thing if it's Christian music. But when we talk about worship and praise, we worship God for who he is and we praise God for what he has done. Two separate ideas. Can they be intertwined? Yes. But they're also very distinctly different. And we need to understand the difference between the two. <clears throat> Again, God has blessed me immeasurably. I have an incredible family. I have the best church family I've been a part of in my entire life. I've been in church every, since before birth. Nine months before I was born, I was in church. I've never in my life been a part of a church family like this before, ever, ever, ever. God's doing something special here. I get to be a part of that. I praise God for that because he's been good to me. He's been gracious to me. He's given me a family. That's God's grace. I'm thankful for that. I praise God for that. God's given me a lot of godly friends in my life. I praise God for that. I'm going to have something really good for lunch today. I'm going to praise God for that in advance because I know whatever I'm going to eat is going to be good. I had something so good this past week. Oh, my goodness. I had a peanut butter sandwich with Funyuns, and it was so glorious. And I just want to praise God this morning for, for Funyuns, right? Um, I don't eat vegetables, but I count Funyuns as vegetables. And so, um, oh, so good. Oh, man, it was so good. I praise God for that. So we praise God for the good things that he's done. But here's, get this, we worship God because he is God. If God never did anything for me and never gave me anything, he is still almighty God, worthy of our worship. And the idea of worship, again, it's not music. The idea of worship is this. The, the, word, the biblical word for worship literally means to lay face down in front of. 
And worship isn't so much a body position as much as it is a heart position. My heart is brought low face down before God in recognition of his awesomeness and recognition of how minuscule and inconsequential I am in the realms of eternity. I recognize how great God is and how small I am. I recognize the awesomeness and majesty in light of my own sinfulness and wickedness and and limited ability. I recognize God's all-powerfulness before me. If you take a look at the songs that we sang this morning, there's a mixture of praise and worship. Standing on the promises which cannot fail. When the howling storms and doubt and fear assail. That's a a recognition of praise of God. He's given us his word to stand upon when difficult times come. We praise God for that. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. That's a recognition of God has nothing to do with me, but he is still totally awesome God. That's a song of worship. And some songs that we sing are a mixture of both. Pet peeve of mine is narrative songs that basically talk about me, you know, like, I was sad and lost, and you came to me, you came to me when I was sad and lost. It's like, are you singing about your boyfriend? Are you singing about Jesus? Because I'm super confused by this because it's all about you. Uh, And so again, we need to be careful with even the music that we listen to. And let me just tell you this. I'll pull over for a side and give you a helpful tip. I'm not going to charge you anything for it today. Just because something's on Christian radio doesn't make it Christian, okay? Just because something's in the Christian section at the bookstore doesn't make it Christian, just because something's in a Christian bookstore doesn't make it Christian. What makes something Christian? Does it align with the Bible? Period. Not a matter of do I like this or do I like the author or, uh, you know, are they cool or are they hip or do they wear ripped jeans? And, uh, no. Does it align with Scripture? And some of the stuff that's in, and I've, I've done a favor for Barnes & Noble a couple of times. I'll, I've confessed it to God, so I'll confess it to you. I've taken stuff from the Christian section and put it in the fiction section before, okay? <laughs> I've done that. I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of it, but I've done it, okay? Uh, I have purchased copies of the Book of Mormon at the Goodwill store for the purpose of throwing them away. I've done that before, okay? Uh, But uh, again, I have taken gospel tracts and put them inside false teaching books before. I have done that, okay? Uh, I'm just saying, but here's the fact of the matter. At the end of the day, worship is a recognition of who God is. Praise is a recognition of what God has done for his people or what God has done for me specifically. They're separate. They can be intertwined, but they're two separate distinct issues. And so again, when we look at things like Christ is mine forevermore, that Christ has paid for every failing, I am his and, and he is mine, that's a song of praise for what God has done for me. The idea that one day I'll be able to walk the streets of heaven with Jesus Christ as my Savior is a recognition of, first of all, praise that he would save me. Secondly, it's a worship of the fact that I, sinful, wicked, pathetic Anthony, will one day walk with Jesus Christ who died for my sins like my head wants to explode in worship the idea behind that and so again we're called to live a life of of worship psalm 138 verse number two i will worship towards thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name and so again praise is a reflection of what god's done and a worship is a reflection of who god is when we take a look at god's grace that he's given to us we see in verses three through six this morning that god showers mankind with his love and he pours out his grace on us individually as well so god so loved the world god's given us his grace to everybody but god also makes his grace individually specifically applicable Yes, God so loved the world, but God also so loved you individually as well. Yes, Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world, but he died for your sins as well. When we talk about God's love and his grace, it's poured out on a massive universal scale. It's also poured out individually at the same time. Now, it's important that we define terms when we talk about God's grace. We're talking about God's undeserved, his unmerited favor arising in the mind of God bestowed upon his people. That's what we talk about when we think of God's grace. Now again, if you can do something to earn God's favor, it's not grace. It's not the same. It's a transactional at that point. 
God did this for me because I did this for God. God's grace is this. You've done nothing to deserve this, but God chooses to shower it upon you anyways. That's God's grace. And we praise God for his grace. Now, here's the awesome part about God. Because grace is part of who God is, it's part of his, his character, it's part of God's DNA, grace, love, mercy, kindness, compassion. It's woven into who God is. God also gives us something we sometimes refer to as common grace. When we talk about common grace, we're talking about God's love and favor shown towards all of his creation, regardless of whether they acknowledge him or have faith in Christ. The fact that a hater of God, an atheist who denies the existence of God, who rails against the truth of God, would still today be able to have breath in his lungs is simply nothing more than the grace of God. The fact that the sun rises and sets is a picture of the grace of God. The fact that you and I have food to eat, anybody today, the grace of God. Given to mankind, all of God's creation, the universe exists and the universe is held together by the grace of God. And so we sometimes refer to that as the common grace of God. And God is not gracious to us because we are good. God is gracious to us because he is good. Now we we got to get that. God didn't look at you and go, oh, wow, so cute. I should totally take you home and make you mine. <laughs> There's nothing that was attractive to you to God. God loves you and he's gracious towards you because of his grace and his goodness. It, it, it grieves me to hear bad preaching. And again, I've been guilty of bad preaching before, but when pastors say things like, oh, God loves you so much, he looked down at you and saw you like a little lost puppy that he wanted to bring home and adopt you for his own. And he just sits up at night with you and pets you on his lap. And when he goes to the refrigerator to get you a glass of milk, your picture's on the refrigerator. And it's just like, just stop it, all right? God looks at you and says, you wretched, wicked, sinful pagan. There's nothing attractive to you whatsoever, but to make my name great, I choose to offer you my grace and forgiveness and my son, not because you are good, but because I desire glory for my own name. That's it. And again, if we think that, that God got a good deal the day that he saved us or when he got us on his team, you have greatly misunderstood the gospel. Greatly misunderstood. Because God looks at our wretched, sinful state and he has compassion. Not because we were attractive to God in some way. We were altogether repulsive to God, if you want to be honest about it. <laughs> now again, I'm, I'm, just so you know, I'm very well aware that this type of preaching is not popular in our society today. You want to hear about how good you are and how God wants to take you from good to great and that God is that extra push that you need to be more than what you wanted to be. I'm here today to tell you that you are a wicked wretch without the grace of God because that's the biblical message. That's the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The only thing great in our life is Jesus Christ at work in our life. Without Jesus, I am a absolute wreck, wreck without Jesus. So again, I need the grace of God and God doesn't give me his grace because I've earned it, but because he is good. Now, there's one type of grace that God reserves for himself. He doesn't share it. He doesn't give it out freely the way he does with common grace. We sometimes refer to this as salvific grace. To make it a little bit easier, you could say saving grace. This type of grace is not freely given to anybody who is born into the world. This is not given automatically as a blanket to creation of grace. Salvific grace, on the other hand, is the act of God extending the gift of salvation to any who would receive it based on his own grace, not based upon our own merit. That's saving or salvific grace needed for salvation. Because here's the fact of the matter. None of us deserve anything God, good God's given us. You know what we deserve according to the Bible? We deserve God's punishment. We deserve to go to hell when we die. That's what we deserve. But God, who is rich in mercy, has chosen to give us the opportunity to choose him. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And so is God gracious by giving us a new day? Yes. Is God gracious by giving us the opportunity uh, to have, a, have lunch today? Yes. Has God given us grace by giving us the opportunity to gather together and worship together? Yes. But God's grace, his love, and his mercy are on full display on the Christ, cross of Jesus Christ. God's grace would be shown in no greater way throughout all of human history than the day that Christ was crucified. Because the Bible says that you and I deserve to die, but he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Why? Because God is gracious. Not because we earned it, but because God is gracious. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And friend, if there's never been a time, a date, a place in your life where you've received Christ as Savior, today you can put your faith in Jesus and be gloriously saved. If you're not 100% sure that when you die, you're going to heaven, you need to be born again because Jesus says, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And you don't get saved or born again by the religious works that you do. Today, we have the privilege of baptizing nine people today, fallen sirs. I'm so pumped about that. And so, you can clap, but it's good. It's good. And you know, you know what we do? We praise God for that. Man, he's so good to us like that. But they're not getting baptized so that maybe they'll go to heaven one day. No, they're, going, they're getting baptized today because they've already been saved. They've already put their faith and trust in Christ as Savior. And if they die before they're baptized, they're still going to heaven because we don't go to heaven. We don't receive eternal life based on what we do. Then that would be a works-based salvation, which is no salvation at all. Salvation is available only through the grace of God. And today, they're getting baptized as an act. Get this, you're, you're going to love this. They're getting baptized today as an act of praise to God for their salvation. Hey, I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and I get to show how thankful I am by committing to a public display of my faith by being baptized today as an act of praise. But it's also an act of worship because I believe that God is so worthy and God is so valuable. I'm willing today to publicly identify as a follower of Jesus because he is worthy. And so by being baptized today, it's an act of praise and worship. But it's important to understand it's not a work of grace, right? We got to keep all this separate. We praise God for his grace. We worship God because he is gracious, but we receive his grace by simply receiving it. And so if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, it's as simple as putting your faith and trust in Jesus. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven. I believe he rose again the third day after paying for my sins. And I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sins. If you could do that today, if you would do that today, you would be saved and born again in an instant because God's gracious. Well, don't I have to make up for all the wrong that I've done? No, that's where grace comes in. You don't have to do anything to receive it. Just receive it. Well, what if, I'm, what if I do bad stuff in the future? That's one of the things I hear so many times when I tell people about what Jesus has done for them. They say, oh, I don't know if I can be perfect for the rest of my life. Huh. I'll save you the trouble. You can't be perfect for the rest of your life. Guaranteed. But being saved, having eternal life, having God as your father is not about being on your best behavior. It's about God's grace. So, hmm, does that mean that if I receive God's grace and am saved, I can live ever how I want to? No, you can't. Because after you receive that gift of grace, you will want to praise and worship with your life. So that you don't want to go back to the garbage sin that you already got delivered from. So it's important that we understand that all these are separate, but they work together to give us what we need. We talk about God's grace and how sufficient it is. God's grace is sufficient and it meets all of our spiritual needs. Take a look at Psalm 103, verse number three. I love this verse. Let's back up to verse number two. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. That word iniquities means sin, who heals all your disease. Psalm 32, verse number one says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. If we jump down to verse number um, 12. As far as the east is from the west, hath he removed our transgressions from us. Get this. Whenever you're saved and you repent of your sin, it's like gone. Like poof, like gone. Like it never existed. 
cast as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says. One of the great promises in the Bible, 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's it. So if you're a child of God, it's just a matter of continually walking in God's grace day by day, and you're forgiven. Oh, let me just help you. You're not going to live a perfect life, but you can live a forgiven life. That's even better than living a perfect life. You get that opportunity. Because why? Because God's gracious and he can meet all of your spiritual needs. You can also rest in God's righteousness in every situation. Take a look at Psalm 103, verse number 6. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Get this. (laughs) You don't have to right every wrong. You don't have to be the crusader who fixes everything that's gone sideways. Many times you and I just need to be gracious and humble and allow God to work out the rest. You know why? Because according to verse number 6, God executes his righteousness and judgment for everybody, especially those that are oppressed, those that have been wronged. So look, if somebody does you wrong, you know what you need to do? Forgive, be gracious, be humble, move on. Well, maybe they won't get what's coming to them. God's going to take care of that. He already said that he would. And again, if you want to know who vengeance belongs to, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not mine and your job to get even with people. It's our job to walk in humility and kindness and forgiveness and be like Jesus. And you want to talk about somebody who had the ability to right every wrong? Christ did. But here's what the Bible says. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. That when he was taken before people who falsely accused him, the Bible says he stood like a lamb before the shears is dumb or couldn't speak. The Bible says he opened not his mouth. Somebody who could like stand up for themselves would have been Christ, but he chose. No, I'm just going to let God handle this. And God did in a way that redeemed our souls. So the spiritual needs that we have, Jesus can meet every single one of those. God's grace meets every one of those. But I'm thankful that God also meets our emotional needs as well. God's grace is sufficient. It's enough to meet any emotional need that we come across as well. Okay, if we take a look at verse number three, who forgiveth all of our iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that the youth is renewed like the eagles. We see that God rescues us from destruction and crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. Let me help you with something this morning. Has there ever been a time in your life where you feel like, I think I've really messed up, like (laughs) bigger than normal. Like I feel like maybe I've crossed a line somewhere that I can't get back from. I think maybe I've caused irreparable damage to my life or to my marriage or to my kids or to my situation. And man, I, I think I'm toast. I think I'm sunk. When you come up to a situation, you say, I've made such a mess out of this. I don't know how to begin to clean it up. Yeah, that's the type of stuff that God specializes in. Take a look at uh, verse number, I think it's uh, verse number uh, four. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Get this. This is more than God just gets you out of bad situations. Get this. The word redeem means to purchase back. It costs something to get this. And when God redeemed you from destruction, when God continues to redeem you from destruction, it costs him something to do so. And you know what the cost is? His son. Jesus Christ provides God's grace that's able to redeem us, buy us back from a life of destruction when we've gone our own way and done our own thing. Man, probably... uh, this would have been 2003 time frame, I think it was. We were on our way back from church one, uh, one uh, Sunday night, one Wednesday night, I think it was. Wednesday night or Sunday night, on our way back from church, 2003. Going down a, a dark road in the middle of the desert in California, and it's kind of dark out there, and there's a car in front of us, and uh, cars would come this way, and it would swerve off the edge really far off the ro- side of the road and come back on. And my wife said, I think that guy's drunk up there. It's just like, oh, man, sure enough. Watched for a little while, definitely drunk, but... There's, there's one lane going where we need to go, and so we back up half mile or so and give him plenty of space. And 
And like I see him weave, 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 and then all of a sudden you see the headlights go up in the air, and you see him go off the side of the road and off over on the side. And so we pull up over there and roll the window down, and uh, guys, I'll never forget it. It was a red 3000, uh, Mitsubishi 3000 GT, never forget it. And the dude's over there in the dirt, like red line in the engine. And as he's doing, like sand is going everywhere, and he's just getting deeper and deeper and deeper in there. And I was just like, this is bad. Uh, so dude's definitely got some stuff going on. Well, the problem is he landed off the side of the road and not just sand, but there's also a lot of really dry brush and tumbleweeds and stuff like that around there too. Like red line in his engine. And I was just like, this is bad. And you see underneath the car begins to, you see smoke start to come out of there. I was just like, this is bad. And so get out of the car over there, like, Doors locked. I'm like banging on the door. Hey man, like redlining. I'm smelling smoke. I was like, dude, this is bad. And finally, I'm like banging on the window, trying to break the window because the dude obviously isn't getting it. And he rolls down the window and starts cussing at me. And he's like, hey man, get out. I was like, whoa, 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 dude, your car's on fire. Like, get out. And he's like, cussing at me. I reach in, open his door, drag him out by his shirt. Often to my wife call 911, stuff like that, drag him out. Car catches on fire. It's on fire. He's still cussing me on the side of the road over here. Cops show up, put him in the back of the car and leave. We end up making a statement and stuff like that. Crazy night, right? My goodness. What happened? I found a guy who was in destruction and I tried to rescue him from it, but he didn't want to be rescued. You go, what an idiot, right? Sure. Let's talk about you. <laughs> Do you see any parents? People are always funny, like, oh, that's funny, right? And it's like, well, what about you? And you're like, oh, I see where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah. I got off track because I was stupid and doing my own thing. I got myself into a mess. I didn't want any help. I waved off all the help that I could get. When I got the help that I needed, I was angry at the help that I needed. Why? Because God needed to redeem you from destruction. And sometimes the path of redemption isn't a, a comfortable path that God takes you through. Sometimes God has to grab you by the hair to drag you out of a car to bring you to safety, and you don't like that. You're like, bro, get off me. Leave me alone. No, no, I need to bring you to a place of my blessing because you found yourself in a place of destruction. And so I'm thankful that even in our emotional state that God is able to redeem us from destruction. And let me just tell you this. You're never so far gone that God can't fix it, ever. I talked to our men on Friday night about and some of you have adult kids, and it's not too late for you to have an influence for Christ in their life. You're never past God's usefulness. If you still have breath in your lungs, you still have an opportunity to turn around and be used by God in your life. And you need to take that opportunity if you get it. But again, get this. This verse right here is just so rich. He redeems us, our life, from destruction. And what does he do next? He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. So he rescues you from a terrible situation and brings you out of that, and then he gives you a crown. Think about this for a second. The average Joe, ordinary citizen, doesn't get a crown. Who gets crowns? Royalty, right? Royalty gets crowns, and God chooses to give us a crown. But here's the thing. Who has the right to give crowns? Only royalty can give crowns to other royalty. So here we have creator God of the universe, King of kings, Lord of lords, who chooses to place a crown upon you and I of what? Of great wealth, of great status, no, of everything that we need, what? His loving kindness and his tender mercies is what he crowns us with. Why? Because we're so good, right? No, 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 no. Because he's gracious. You see, you've rebelled against God. You've fought against God. You don't deserve his loving kindness and tender mercy, but he chooses to give it to you because he's gracious. <laughs> That's why, again, I am grieved by people who say things like, and again, when, when Christians say this, it just shows that they're immature and foolish. When unsaved people say this, it's just because they don't know Jesus. But one of the most foolish statements you can ever make is, I just want God to give me what I deserve. No, you don't. I promise you don't. You want God to be gracious, guaranteed. You do not want to get what's coming to you because God's wrath and punishment is precisely what you deserve. And when Christians say that again, you just, it's a foolish, immature statement. You don't understand what it means. Unsaved people, you don't understand what you really deserve because you don't want that. You want God's grace. So again, I want God to be gracious to me. 
I love the fact that the Bible tells us that God satisfies the deepest cravings of our soul. Take a look at verse number five. Who satisfies thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Think about that for a second. God has promised to give us every single need that we have and meet every need that we have, but he's also promised to give us many of our wants and he's promised to give us good things so that our mouth will be satisfied with good things. Now, hmm, the question becomes, what are good things? Is this God making us eat our vegetables because he knows what's best for us? I think there's times where the answer to that is yes. God's going to make you eat your broccoli because he knows what's best for you. But I also think that God's going to allow us to eat cupcakes too because he wants us to enjoy life as well, because he's gracious, because he's good, because he lets us enjoy life. I'm thankful that you and I are not Levitical Jews anymore because we get to enjoy bacon, right? Talk about God's blessings on, on mankind. Who, think, who would have thought that you fry up the belly of a, a pig in its own fat and it's so delicious, right? Like, who knew, right? Why? Because God's promise that the deepest cravings of your soul, he alone can satisfy. Whatever it is that your heart craves, he is enough. I think it was G.K. Chesterton, I'm not sure, don't quote me on that, but a good quote uh, that somebody said, not me, was every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for Jesus Christ. And I thought that was so true. You see the person who's chasing after status in this world, you don't really want the status that this world has to offer. What your heart really craves is satisfaction in Jesus. That's what you really want. You don't want more money or a better vacation or a nicer house. You really just want the satisfaction that comes from Jesus. That like if you had nothing else in your life but you had Jesus, you'd be fully content. That's what your heart craves. And God has promised to give that to you and to give that to everyone who seeks after him because he's gracious. Psalm 145, verse 16, Thou openest thine hand and thou satisfiest the desire of every living thing. Man, that's so deep. So God's grace meets our spiritual needs, it meets our emotional needs, and God's grace meets our physical needs as well. Verse number three, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. So this tells us that God has the power to even restore our physical health. This is also a good time, again, I want to be a teaching and equipping pastor that doesn't just read through the Bible and not make application. I want you to know your faith well enough that you see how it works around you. Do we believe as Bible-believing Christians in divine healing by God? Absolutely, 100%. God can do whatever he wants at any time, how he chooses, in his own way, at any time. I, I can tell you stories in our own family's life. My daughter, McKeeley, twice, doctor says, we don't know what's going to happen. She might not make it. And both times she made it. And they, both times they said, we're not really sure what happened here. I know exactly what happened. God sustained her life. Do we believe that God has the ability to heal? 100%, no doubt about it. Now, do we believe that God gives individual people the ability to touch people and heal them 100% of the time? Absolutely not under any circumstances whatsoever. That was an apostolic gift that was given to the apostles. It's not a gift for the church today. Even when you see Paul, who was an apostle, when Timothy was sick, he told Timothy to take his medicine, and he hoped to get to feeling better. Again, we don't see anywhere outside of the apostles where someone had the ability to heal on command, on demand, 100% of the time. And if you think about it this way, so... So let me get you straight, Pastor. What you're saying is everyone who claims to be a faith healer who touches people and heals them is a liar. Absolutely, that's what I said. Take it to the bank. And I'll go one step further. <laughs> Anybody who calls himself an apostle has a 99.9999998% chance of being a false teacher as well. Because again, we don't find any apostolic succession in the Bible either. So again, all that is nonsense. And, and again, critical thinking skills for us, all right? Again, because I want you to be a thinking Christian, too. If one had the power to touch people on demand and heal them 100% of the time, where's the first place that you would go to find sick people needing to be made well? The Blaisdell Arena for $75 a ticket, right? And we'll pass an offering bucket at the end. That's what you were thinking, wasn't it? No, you go to the hospitals, right? 
Isn't it strange that many of these healing centers were closed for COVID? Wait, what? <laughs> I thought we could like fix this. No, no. You know why? Because it's all a sham. And let me just tell you this. It, it would be absolutely hysterically funny if it wasn't so blasphemous and heretical. If, if like you're telling me some magician somewhere goes to a group of people and goes like this and like everybody falls down on command, that would be funny. But when you're saying that's the Holy Ghost, wait, 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 that's not funny anymore. You're talking about my Savior. You're talking about my Spirit. You're talking about my Father. That's not funny. So again, does God have the ability to heal disease? It says that he does here, yes. Does any one person have the ability to touch someone and heal them for today? No, it's an apostolic gift in the New Testament. And again, critical thinking skills for any Christian. When Jesus found a guy that was laying down because he was, wasn't able to walk since birth and he touched him, what happened? He stood up and he walked. Jesus never found a guy who was standing up and hit him and he fell down, right? That's the opposite of what Jesus did. So again, even rational, critical thinking skills will tell you that this is not of God, this is not biblical, this is not of the Spirit. Is it spiritual? 100% spiritual, but it's not the Holy Spirit. So again, put on your thinking cap. If it's not the Spirit of Christ, then the only other spirit is the Spirit of Satan. Are you saying this is satanic? I just said it. And if I made you mad, first of all, I'm sorry. I'll talk to you about it later. But we really need to have that conversation. Because again, the Bible says that we war against the spirits of darkness. And one of the things that the devil is known for is capitalizing on the name of Christ to, to, to perpetrate false teachings. And so again, we've got to be super careful with that. But does God have the ability to heal? Yes, he does. How he chooses, when he chooses. And here's the guidelines that, that he gives us in the book of James. If any of you are sick, gather the elders of the church, the pastoral leadership of the church, let them anoint them with oil and pray for them. Now the anointing of oil, oil was considered to have medicinal purposes in that day. So basically, it boils down to this. If you're sick, take your medicine and have people pray for you. And maybe you'll be healed, maybe you won't, because at the end of the day, the true healer is God himself. So God can meet our physical needs and the fact that he can heal us from disease. God also gives us a new opportunity of a life that's useful to him. Again, the end of verse uh, number uh, five tells us, so that the youth is renewed like the eagles. Get this. You feel like you're old and you've wasted your life? Congratulations, God's given you a new lease on life. He's going to renew your strength to be able to take now another chapter of your life and live it for Jesus. I don't know about you, but I got years of my life that were wasted, to use the prodigal son term, with riotous living, living for myself, doing what I wanted to do. I wish I had those years back. I don't get them, but you know what I do? I do get to look forward at living a life that's useful to Christ. Hey, whatever's in the past is done and dusted. It's time for you to move forward and just live for Jesus from here on out. We can cry about spilt milk on another day. We don't got time for that. Jesus is coming back soon. Let's get after it. And the Bible says that God will renew our youth and give us a, a zeal and excitement for the things of God and the ability to be able to serve God with our life. There's another case in the Bible where the Bible compares our strength to the strength as eagles. Isaiah chapter 40 will mount up on wings of eagles. Why? Because we'll have the strength that can come only from God to do what he wants us to do. Three final thoughts this morning and we're done. First of all, we can have hope because we know that God is loving. God loves you. God loves me. God loves the world. And so you can have hope this morning knowing that your father loves you. If you're not a child of God, you need to be saved today for sure. But God loves you. God loves me. And whatever's going on in your life, you can know right now, hey, God loves you. He would never do anything to purposely hurt you. He would never do anything to, to cause you harm. He just wants what's best for you. And again, sometimes what's best for you is a time of difficulty. That's just part of life. But God loves you. We can also rest and have hope in the fact, knowing that God is gracious. I praise God that he has not given me what I deserve, but he's given me what he deems best. And I can also rest and have hope in the fact that God is gracious. Have you made mistakes? Sure. But I'm thankful that God doesn't reward us according to our mistakes. He rewards us according to his grace. Man, we have made dozens, hundreds of mistakes with our children. But I'm thankful for the fact that they're all in church this morning. They all love Jesus. They're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I can tell you this. 
It's only by the grace of God because we've done everything we could to mess it up. I married the most incredible woman I've ever met in my entire life. Our marriage is amazing. I'm blessed by it. Is it perfect? Nope, it's not. Do we have problems? We got problems like everybody else got problems. But I'm thankful that God's been really, really gracious. And I can rest in the fact of knowing that he'll be gracious again in the future as well. Final thought, we can have hope this week knowing that we can find our rest in God. I'm thankful that the Bible explains God as a tower of refuge, a haven of rest, a shelter in time of storm. I know that God's got me, whatever's coming, because he's loving, because he's kind, because he's gracious, because he's good, because he can meet every need that I have, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, relationally. He is everything to me, and I can trust him. What hope I have, what encouragement I have this week, knowing that my father is in control. Man, that's encouragement. But just remember that there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again. You don't have God's grace. You can't call him father yet. So if you're here today and you don't know for sure if you died today, heaven's your home. If you're not 100% sure that you're saved or born again, please don't leave here without knowing for sure. Stop by and say, say something to me. Grab one of our ushers on the way out. Man, give us the opportunity to talk to you about what it means to be saved. But for those of us that are Christians, let's live under God's grace this week. Hearts of praise, worship, and grace. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.